I described in a previous module how we syndicators operate underneath the regulatory framework from the SEC and state law. But we also operate under another framework too. Fortunately, this one is our own design. It is the operating agreement. Now, just like with the PPM, a lot of syndicators make a mistake of just pulling an operating agreement off the internet and trying to do it themselves. This too is a really big mistake and it can definitely cost you. So the problem with the, doing it in the PPM is you've said something that's kind of contradictory and confusing and doesn't really, uh, and portrays the wrong thing and the SEC gets upset about it. In an operating agreement, because it's the rules of the company, you actually can sabotage the entire thing, bring the whole syndication crashing down into a pile of rubble or can just eliminate any liability protection that you thought you had because it was an LLC. So let's go through the operating agreement and its partner, the subscription agreement. Just like we're governed by a series of laws, an LLC is governed by its own specific laws. And the place where those laws are defined is in the operating agreement. You are at the beginning, the only signer in the operating agreement. You or your partners uh, are the originators of the operating agreement. So I bring that important point now because we'll talk about in detail how the subscription agreement uh, relates to the operating agreement in just a few minutes. So let's first go through what an operating agreement has, uh, what it is, and uh, then we'll switch over to the subscription agreement. So like I said before, an operating agreement is the rules for the company. It defines the way everything has to take place. Now, a good operating agreement looks like this. It's got every single thing in it so that when anything happens or when it's ever it's time to do something, you always have a place to go to that has the very specific rules for how to do it. So let's go through the different parts of an operating agreement. First off, we like to talk about the formation details. So here we're talking about the name of the LLC, uh, the address that it's there, sort of what the purpose of the LLC is, which relates to the articles that were filed previously uh, to establish the LLC. All of those general details, who to notify, who to, uh, where books and records are kept, all those general ideas about what the LLC is. It sort of is the foundation that sets it up. The next section that I like to put way up front is whether this is going to be a manager-managed entity or a member-managed entity. We talked about that in the structure section, uh, structure module here in, uh, in the first section, but this is the uh, talking about it in detail about how that works in the operating agreement itself. So are you ma manager managed or are you member managed? Uh, I like to call it out because it's very important and it sets the tone for everything else. 
The next section I like to go through is members and different uh, and different classes of members. So I like to identify what a member is, and then I like to identify what the different classes there are if there are different classes. So sometimes you'll have uh, a class, you'll have your A shares or your B shares. They're not actually shares. Remember, they're membership units, uh, but that's how people oftentimes think about them in their head. So these are just different classes of people that we've, uh, we've identified, and these different classes may have different rights, responsibilities, uh, distribution amounts, and voting rights, which leads us to our next section, which is voting rights and how that takes place. Now, in a manager-managed entity, there still is voting. Most of the time when I put together a, 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 a manager-managed uh, LLC for myself, for a deal that I'm syndicating, I like to give some voting power to my members. I think they like it because they feel empowered. Um, and then, and it really is something that I would just, I'm just more comfortable philosophically having them have the right to have a say in it. The main thing that I want them to have the say on is, should we have a capital event? I want their buy-in to say when it's time to sell or not. The next section that we have is uh, that of manager compensation. This is where you put in all those fees that we talked about. Uh, this is where you identify what those fees are and uh, where and how to get them paid. So this is your asset management fees, if you have construction fees, however you're doing property management, all those kinds of things, this is the place where you give the manager the right to get those, that compensation. The next section is capital contributions. Now, how is it that you receive money for, from your investors? So are you, uh, do you have sort of limits that you're taking on? Uh, how does it go? Does it go into a specific account? How are you doing those initial capital contributions? Secondarily, how do you do any additional capital cons, uh, contributions that are needed? What happens when, that, uh, when there is that need? Who can identify it? This is also called a capital call. So this isn't a good thing by any means necessarily, unless it's already foreseen. Well, we're going to finish this phase and then this is going to happen where we need this capital. Most of the time, this is a very negative thing, but you got to identify it and having it well spelled out in the, peop in the operating agreement is where it belongs because you're going to need it if you need to do it. You, you will get a lot of complaints if you have to do a capital call. Now, fortunately, they are very rare if you do things right. So, um, but if you do need it, you want to have it nicely spelled out. The part that's correlated with that is what happens if there is a capital call and one of your investors doesn't give the amount of money, additional capital that is needed? Does it dilute them? or does it become like an interest that they owe? What is, what is that mechanism to do it? This needs to be in the operating agreement to spell out what that consequence is. The next section, probably the favorite section, is distribution. So how do distributions get paid? In what order? Um, if there's a capital event, does return of capital get paid out or not? 
what is that order of things? The order of payments, uh, the different classes, uh, how does it all take place? Uh, the next section is what happens in a dissolution of the, of the agreement. So at some point, this entity is going to be done. Uh, you will have distributed all the money and just, we like to put out some nice formal, uh, this is what happens in a dissolution. Uh, the last section that's important in a operating agreement, besides a lot of other that we haven't talked about here, is are you going to have a right of first refusal on sale of shares? Now, we've talked about before that you can't really sell the shares. Um, I mean, there's no real market to sell those shares, or that, those membership units uh, in this LLC. But when a member does want to do that, it is permissible if it's allowed in the operating agreement. And a lot of times we'll put in a right of first refusal. Most of the time, the right of first refusal will look like this. First to the manager or the company and or the company uh, that the manager can make a decision to buy it for themselves or the company can get it in order to basically buy back. Just like, a, like you hear about stock buybacks, it's the exact same thing. So the company can buy back those shares if it has the cash to do it. Perhaps you'll even do it as part of a capital call that takes place if that happens, if there's some sort of election in order to do it. You could do it that way. The next tier on the right of first refusal is, the, uh, is normally the members themselves. And so we set a price. If the price is at a third party, uh, makes a bona fide offer, then anybody in the, who's in the syndication can also can buy it out at that same price on, in, under certain timelines. So those are the elements that are very, very common in an operating agreement. So let's talk about subscription agreements. So and a subscription agreement is what we call uh, an ancillary document to the operating agreement itself. So let's go to a diagram about how this exactly works. So you've got this uh, operating agreement here. Right? So you have this operating agreement. It's all really good. You've got your signature here. Make it look like it's all official. And you, and say your partner, you both signed the operating agreement. Right? So now it's time to add investors into this, uh, to this operating agreement. Well, we've got these investors here who want to do that. Now the operating agreement is already done. It's kind of closed. It's already identified what your units are, uh, but it hasn't done anything to your I'm not, I'm having them not smile because they don't know how, what they're going to do. Uh, so they, they don't know, have a mechanism in order to go into that uh, operating agreement. So, but there actually is a way to solve this. And that way is uh, through the subscription agreement.
So a subscription agreement is signed by each of the investors and what it does is it binds the investor with that agreement to the operating agreement. So it makes all of them subject to all the rights and responsibilities of that operating agreement. For example, capital calls are a perfect example. Nobody wants to make them, but they've signed a subscription agreement that says, hey, I'm a part of this. My money's a part of this. I get the benefit from it because I've got a subscription agreement, but I've also got the downside and the risk that's associated with it as well. So a subscription agreement uh, contains a few sections. It has reps and warranties, and these are... These are the big, the biggies. So the reps and warranties that I like to put in there are that they got the PPM, read it, uh, understood it, and had an opportunity to discuss with their attorney. Um, that they, if it's a 506C, which is mostly what I do, um, if it's a 506C, they say, I am an accredited investor. Uh, I am an accredited investor. So that way then if there's any kind of that they did it by any sort of fraud, it's sort of like, well, they are the ones committing the, the problem here. They're saying they're an accredited investor. Um, that they are adopting the operating agreement. And then I also like to put an acknowledgement about transfer because it's kind of a big deal. Lastly, I like to give a questionnaire and the questionnaire really is more for my convenience rather than anything else. The questionnaire's purpose is to say, um, give me all of the information in one place so I don't have to look for it anywhere else. Uh, so give me all of your address, your phone number, your social security number for taxes, how you're being done, uh, done. Give me the, you know, who are the signers, who's necessary to contact, give me all that information. Uh, so that way I've got it in one place and what better place than the subscription agreement itself. All right. So, um, let's see. Uh, the, in our next module, we are going to talk about now that we've gotten our subscription agreement signed, how do we are ready? How do we now take this PPM and this investment that we've put together, a whole framework we put together, how do we take it and market it to the world? How do we uh, find investors? How do we uh, show it to the world? And um, how do we talk about our investment? We did all this work to get all that done. Now we need to get people to actually subscribe, right? So in our next module, we are going to go through the marketing of the investment.